creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need a creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I am your host, Andy J. Pizza. Today on the show, we have visual artist, intuitive philosopher, cultural facilitator, and much more, including choreographer, Chantel Martin. I've been a big fan of Chantel's work for a long time. I love the kinetic feel of it. I love even more that it has such a clear voice pulsing through every line and mark that Chantel makes on the page as well as on the walls and on the projectors and everything in between. I don't know many visual artists who have choreographed a ballet for the Boston Ballet, uh, let alone done collaborations with the likes of Kendrick Lamar. Like Chantel has done incredible things, but even more incredible than that is the honesty and authenticity and heart that Chantel puts into everything that she makes. Taking a deep dive into Chantel's work and into this conversation with her sparked all kinds of different creative ideas. I'm going to list a few at the end of the episode just to wrap it up, but um, I think you are going to get a lot of creative sparks yourself as you listen to this episode. Hope you love it. We'll get right to it, but first, just a quick word from our sponsors. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Yushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new Fluid Engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site, It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it, got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're going to be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was going to tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, AndyJPizza.com if you want to see what I did with it. 
If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. There's this quote, and I'm, I'm guessing you're familiar with it because it reminds me so much of your work, and it's from this early 1900s artist named Paul Clay, and he said, a line is a dot that went for a walk. I've heard that before. I d didn't know who it was by, but it makes so much sense. It feels very apt. Like you're, There's so much movement in your work, and lines are such a big thing. Every time I look at your work, that's what comes to mind, and... Um, I figured I'd figured someone had told you that along the way or you discovered it. But yeah, that's what I always think of. Well, those lines are still walking. You know, they never stop. Absolutely. So my first question is there's a question that is central to your practice. I've heard you talk about it a bunch of times, but I had a kind of different angle. So throughout your whole work, this question of who are you shows up over and over and I heard that you, even when you were a teenager, like you wrote this on the back of your door and it's something you were wrestling with. And it just struck me that most people don't ask that question until later in life, if not ev like ever, like a lot of people never get to that. And I wondered if you could just tell the audience a little bit about what was it about your upbringing that you think made you ask that question from such an early age? Yeah, so it's a question I've been obsessed with forever, you know, this question of who are you? And in a way, that's pretty much the foundation of my career now as an artist. But it's a question, like you said, that I've been using since I was quite young, quite even a young child, a young teenager, a young adult. And for me, that question was prominent because I was in a situation where I didn't look like anyone around me. I didn't believe that I fought like anyone around me. I'm, I grew up in southeast London in a place called Thamesmead. If you've ever seen Clockwork Orange or The Misfits or, you know, a bunch of this beautiful life or a lot of car commercials, it's shot in Thamesmead, which is this quite brutalist, you know, projects, council estate. It's not, or it wasn't the, the nicest place to grow up. And when I was growing up there, it was predominantly white, working class, racist, homophobic, all of those things, you know, that, that come with that. And there's me, this little, like, mixed-race black kid with an afro growing up where not only everyone in my family is white, but everyone outside is white. So imagine every day you walk outside of your house and you're reminded that you are different from everyone around you. And you are reminded that you do not look like or act like anyone around you. And you have to start asking yourself, well, who am I? If I'm not like anyone else, then who am I? And when I was younger, we didn't have the internet or you know, a diverse kind of social media or TV to see examples of yourself out there in the world. And so 
Instead, I kind of went more internally with that question to try and figure out who I was. Yeah, that makes tons of sense. And I, I love it because it's like a question that has been this animating force in your work. And it reminds me of this thing that cartoonist Linda Berry said, which she's like saying that when artists go to make work, they always kind of feel like they need to say something or have an answer, but mm. that she likes to start comics with a question like what I'm using the art to like work it out. And I feel like maybe that's why people who don't feel like they fit in turn to art is that not because they have answers, but because they have all these questions like, who am I? Like, what, how did I get here? What, why don't I fit into this place? You know? Yeah. Art's such a magical tool for self-exploration. You get to ask those questions of yourself and those questions often are beneficial for people outside of yourself. And it's, it's definitely for myself been a really interesting journey to question those things for myself, but realize that we actually are all asking the similar questions or the same questions. Yeah, I completely agree. And you're, it seems to me that after you started to get into that question and you're, you're drawing all the time that your whole creative journey seemed like a path to answer this question or, or, or figure out who you are. And even in art school, I heard that you did a whole project that was like taking on this literally as a, as a creative endeavor to kind of look at yourself as a research project. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So my final year at art school, my final year at Central St. Martins, I was probably having one of the most difficult years of my life at home, growing up in quite a traumatic environment, uh, a lot of violence and drugs and alcohol and, you know, a whole bunch of other things. And I would just go to school every day and no one knew anything that was going on in my world. And a way of not letting that overwhelm me or get to me was to turn it into art, was to actually look at it almost from an anthropological lens and be an observer to it versus someone that was participating in it or living in it. And so my last final year project at Central St. Martins, I basically wrote a case study and looked at where I was from and the people there, like, um, yeah, like, a, like an anthropologist. And I did that in a visual way and I did that in a, a written way and I did that in a conceptual way. And it was really amazing when you actually dig into who you are and where you're from and your environment and even when you have traumatic things going on around you, you can turn those into art. You can turn that into creativity. You can turn that into fuel. You can turn that into something that is positive. And that really helped me not only get through that time, but to use it as a propeller versus an anchor. You know, I could have taken any one number of things that were happening to me or my family at that time and used it as an anchor or an excuse to not achieve or to do drugs or to do this or do that. But instead, I took all of that and all of those environmental external issues and situations, and I used it as a propeller to propel me through art school. And I ended up getting a first-class honours, you know, like 
um, project. And, and that really kind of spearheaded me or sp sprung me into the rest of my career as an artist, but also as someone just thinks about things and sees things and observes things and just happens to use art as a medium so that we can all see those things as well. Yeah, I love that idea of kind of approaching self-exploration as a sort of observer even of yourself. And I heard a business writer, I cannot remember who said it, but they said that they long ago started logging things about themselves as if they were studying a bug. Like, mm. I don't remember if it was like Tim or something, Tim the bug, and they were just taking all these notes over time of like, what are the, this creature so peculiar, where does it come from? What does it, you know, why does it do what it does? And I, I think that process of really taking an observer role in your own history and, and personality and everything uh, is such an incredible project. I encourage any artist to do that. I think it really is powerful. Do you, do you remember any specific thing it, that you researched or that you, you know, yeah, that you dove into or any particular insight that came from that where you're like, oh, this is like something that is really going to fuel my art? On, on reflection, what's been really interesting is that now I have that power to kind of look back at that time. And then when I look back, I have almost like a time capsule of who I was at that time. And I think that is really powerful because when you're in it, you don't really know who you are or what you're doing. But I'm so grateful that I did those types of projects because now that I'm so far removed from who I was then, I have a window into who I was. I have a window into that past Chantel. I have a window into how I was thinking. And we just assume that we think the same or we're the same person, but we're completely different. And so in a way, I have a time capsule to understand and know what it was like to be an artist or not even to be an artist at that point, to be a human being that felt totally lost, isolated, had no control, had no idea what the future would hold, but somehow used art and creativity as a tool for positivity, even in those dark times. Yeah. And, and it's really surprising as people, as humans, people have been around for a really, really long time. People have been having children for a really long time. For as long as there have been people, we've been having children, we've been having families, yet we can still not get it right. Yet we have parents who don't get it right. Yet we have still so many children that grow up in abusive households that totally affect their lives and their children. And it's important to use art and writing and film and these types of tools to leave some of that information behind so that we can see what we're doing, you know, so that we can use that to drive the past, so that we can use those reflections to change the future instead of just going on as humanity and like perpetually making these same mistakes over and over yeah. and over and over again. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and once you got out of college, you... For people that are familiar with your journey, they they probably know you moved to Japan. You it seemed like you didn't really feel like the art path was available to you, and you kind of went a totally different direction for a little bit. But while you were in Japan, you discovered something about your drawing practice that I think is 
still somewhat of a secret sauce to what you do. And it, it's, it's this, I think when most people think of drawing, they're thinking of a static image. They're thinking of visual art as a static image. And can you just tell us a little bit about like what you, how your drawing practice became more than that while you were over in Japan? So when I went to Japan, I actually stopped drawing. You know, I finished art school. I did very well there. I realized that, you know, at that time, if you weren't from a certain family or had certain connections, it's very difficult, perhaps even still, to have a career in the arts. And so I decided to move somewhere completely new where I wasn't living up to any of the stereotypes or or the projections that were projected onto me of my place in society. And moving to Japan gave me a fresh start. It gave me a fresh canvas. And I started two different types of drawing at that time. One of them was using a 0.05 pen, so one of those very, very fine graphic pens. Mm -hmm. And I would do these very elaborate, detailed, almost diaristic drawings. And in those drawings, it, it interpreted my hopes, my fears, my dreams observations of being out there in the world, Japanese words, things I saw around me. And through that, that led me to a path where showing people these detailed drawings that I was doing, it led me into a path of doing live drawings and live drawing under visual presenters or live drawings under OHPs. And those then would be projected on or behind a band or on or behind a DJ. And through this process of drawing very small and very detailed, but under a projector or under a presenter, and then that being projected, it opened up my world completely to this idea of drawing live, to this idea of drawing in the moment, to this idea of taking time out of the equation. Because when you're drawing live, you only have time to just draw in that moment. You only have that time to be yourself. You only have that time to be and create what is meant to be made in that moment. And there's so much that I discovered within that, that I love working spontaneously. I love working intuitively because that is as honest as you will ever be with yourself and the external world. When you're making something live, there's something so magical about that moment. And it's also something that I'm obsessed about. When you put someone up on a stage or you put someone in front of an audience and you say, go. A, you have to have the confidence to go. And then B, you don't have time to be anyone else but yourself. So you're going to really see yourself. And then you repeat that, you repeat that, you repeat that. And as an artist or a creative, you get to really extract your style, your fingerprint, your identity. And... For me, in a whole way, that's the whole point of being an artist, to extract that and to share that and to experience that connection with others. I, I completely agree. And I think it's, a, it's an incredible kind of mindset shift for drawing. I think especially now with, you know, with, with all this fancy tech, I sound like I'm super old and I'm way out. No, but I feel like there was a time when you didn't, ha you know, when you weren't on Procreate and you could just like new layer, new layer, erase, you know, whatever. The way you're describing it, it feels almost like game day. It's like, you don't have time to second guess this. And if you can set up the parameters to be like, okay, once I start, I'm not in my head. And it sounds like 
doing it live meant that you were forced and you didn't have the time to check in with the ego. Like, am I being cool? Am I on point? Like, you know, all that kind of thing. You just be yourself. And I think it's incredible. And I, and the way you talk about it, it feels like, to me almost like, uh, I, I got this image when I was diving into your work. I was thinking of like, your work is almost as if you tied a marker to your foot while you were dancing. And I thought, man, drawing as like, you're moving while you're drawing, like not you, everybody, when you're, mo- when you're drawing, you are moving and there's this moving component. And I also felt like it was kind of like how the, the mind blowing thing. Have you ever seen like how vinyl is made? Mm-hmm. It's insane. It's a shape. It's a line. Yeah. It's like on a P and, and that's what I felt like about your work. Like your work feels like this is what that song looks like. This is what, this is a, this is a, this, the thing up behind you, that feels like a dance. Like I can see a dance on there. And I know that music is such a big part of what you do. What is that? Why, why do you think that that relationship to music is such a huge part of your work? There's lots of nice thoughts there. You know, the first thought I have on what you were just mentioning is, yeah, who are you when you're not in your head? Mm. And a way to not be in your head is to use the tool of music, is to use the tool of your body, is to use the tool of movement. And as you said, when we are moving throughout the world, we are dancing, we are drawing. And... You know, recently I I did this um, project with the Boston Ballet and I choreographed my first ballet. And that was really interesting because as someone that's just choreographed their first ballet, if I tell people that, they say, oh, so you're a dancer. And I say, no. Oh, so you're a choreographer. And I say, no. I'm an artist. I'm a philosopher. Yeah. Being an artist, does that not give me the biggest freedom of creation? to do whatever I want, so it will look like me, feel like me, move like me. But imagine walking into a room for the incredibly talented, world-renowned ballet dancers and saying, hey, like I'm going to choreograph a dance with you all. Mm. I needed to find common language with them. So for the first couple of days, I actually did drawing workshops with them. So we were drawing with pens, and then we were drawing without pens. And when we got to that moment of drawing without pens, they realized that drawing is dancing and dancing is drawing. It's just that sometimes with drawing with a pen, you leave a line behind that others can see. But when you're drawing without a pen, you're leaving a line that we experience and that we don't see after that fact, but you're essentially dancing or moving throughout the world. And so I love that thought of even when I am drawing on a wall physically and I'm doing something at large scale, I move in my body in a way that is most efficient and effective to get that line from one point to another. And in many ways, I feel like I'm dancing. I feel like that pen is dancing. I feel like there is a choreographed movement of lines happening. And then there just happens to be a mural or a drawing left behind that you can also see where I was at that time. Man, I just love that. I love what you said about this idea of like, when you're out of your head, who are you? Your movement, you're a pulsing force, you know, as a being. And I think when you're in your head, it's almost like you're stopping the movement. You're like, wait, hold on. And it reminds me of, it it feels kind of like that Paul Clay quote, like we, 
you've I've heard you like buck up against just now. You just did like, you know, I'm an artist. I'm a philosopher. Like I'm all of these things. Like I'm not the dot. I'm the mm-hmm. line. I'm the thing that's going on the walk. I'm the thing that's moving through all of those experiences and all of those identities and, and all those different things. And, uh, and it just, it feels like, it feels like as you went to go on this journey to find out who you are, it's as if you found out that who you are is the journey. It's the movement. It's the, it's the thing through all of the stuff. It's and it's never static. And I've even heard you talk about, you know, working with the AI and the frustrations of that. And I think the whole creative community is kind of like curious about the AI, but also frightened by it. But this notion of movement, it gets at, I have a buddy who's a background designer. He was the original background designer for Adventure Time. And I asked him about like, how do you feel when people like rip you off or are really influenced by you, you know, everything in between. And he's like, well, and I think this applies to AI, they can only repeat what I've already done. They'll never be what I'm going to be. And that gets at that. You are the movement. You're the line through. Um, does, that, do you, does that make any sense, I guess? It totally makes sense. You know, we are the process and we are the space in between. And, you know, we didn't, I didn't mention about the music there, but, you know, recently I've started to do music and I use music as a term cautiously because I know it comes with a lot of baggage and expectations. So perhaps I would say I started to create drawings, but I'm using my voice and the sound of keys or piano to create different forms of drawing. And just like any creative output, you need someone behind that. And it's quite similar to AI. I think we have this romanticized version of AI that it can almost think for itself and create for itself and be itself. But actually, an AI is only a sum of what you feed it and what you put into it and what it deep learns. It can only spit out what you put in or a combination or derivatives or collages of those things. It can't create new things or think new things but for some reason, we've, we like to put out there that theory that it can do. And as human beings, you know, we always want technology to evolve. And so we go along with this narrative that it can do way more things than it can. But when we really break it down, it's a sum of its parts. It's a sum of its input. It's a sum of the intentions of the person driving it from behind the scenes. Yeah, I I agree. And I love this idea of like who, you know, it doesn't have a being behind it. And it reminds me of this notion, speaking of philosophy, the a priori thing of like, you know, you come into the world and yes, you, you, you do in some ways for bad and good become a result of the inputs that go into you. But the a priori thing says you also came in with a point of view. Like Mm -hmm. you came in with an observer within you that's beyond the experience. And I think you're completely right. I think that is, that's, that is the art. Mm -hmm. Okay. Last question. Uh, I just, as we're talking through all this, I'm thinking, you know, you came from such a, 
unique background to do all the things that you did, like you said, you know, or I've heard you say people didn't see you doing what you've done. And I'm just curious if along the way of like using this art to excavate yourself and find out who you are, what do you think it is about you that made your story turn out so differently than the people that were born into your circumstance? You know, everyone is on their own path and not to say one route is better than the other or, you know, that we're all on different journeys. I have a journey where I'm in a place where I shouldn't be because people don't expect me to be where I am. You know, I'm from a family where no one finished high school, but I've been a scholar at MIT, an adjunct at NYU, a fellow at Columbia. I've choreographed my first ballet. You know, I've released a book, I've done a TED talk, I've had a museum retrospective, I've had multiple museum solo shows, I've had gallery shows, etc., etc., etc. I should not be here. I should not be here sitting, talking to you. Someone that comes from a position or a place where no one cared what I would do. No one imagined for me what I could do or my potential. And it's often something I think about because what makes me me? Why am I trying to find my way in life through this language of words and lines and drawing and connecting? Why, for me, is something not enough? Why do I have to keep progressing and pushing and expanding and exploring? Why can't I just be satisfied with where I'm from and staying there? And I think ultimately I have a gift and that gift is to be open, that gift is to be playful, that gift is to be kind, that gift is to be creative, that gift is to try and reach some of my full potential and share that with the world. And because of that gift, I have this driving force to do that and to explore that and to be that. And ultimately I want to share that And so that's the driving force behind what I'm doing. And perhaps some of that is because of the DNA I got from a man that I do not know. Perhaps some of that is because I was born with a personality that was slightly defiant. Maybe it's because I was born into a family and into uh, an area where no one looked like me. So I didn't have that pressure to fit in. So my place was always somewhere else. There's so many factors of perhaps why I am where I am or why I've been able to do what I've been able to do. And the tough thing is is that for people like us is that it's never enough. You have to... (laughs) It's never enough. But that is perhaps the blessing and the curse that keeps us creative and it keeps us pushing and it keeps us wanting to progress and see where we can actually really take all of this. I agree. And I haven't heard a lot about, you know... I've heard the artist type kind of being cast as the sensitive type or all kind. I mean, the depressive type. There's, these are kind of the stereotypes. I don't feel like I've heard as much about the artist, you know, nature. And I think there's a whole bunch of them. But I don't think one that doesn't get a lot of play that you hit at is the defiant disposition. Because it's almost like you said, okay, you see these sets of DNA and this place that I was born into, like, I know you're seeing two plus two equals four, 
but I'm going to show you it can be 15. Like I'm mm-hmm. go, like uh, there is that there's something and that is the creative. There's a creative impulse there of like, you will not know the end of this equation just because you have the parts. I'm going to be more than the sum of those parts. And that's, that is fascinating. I, I want to be sensitive to your time. Uh, what, what's something that, um, is there something that you want to tell people about that you're working on right now? So I'm working on a few things, you know, predominantly I'm working on just finding peace within myself and trying to do nothing and actually (laughs) doing nothing is extremely hard because nothing is everything. And as a creative person, we always have this pressure to be doing something and often doing nothing is the something that we should be doing. So I'm working very hard on that. On another note, I've been working on a a project for a while called Chantel Sands, where I've uh, I'm creating a font or a typeface based based on my handwriting. And hopefully at some point this year, I will release Chantel Sands as uh, an OFL, an open font license, so that everyone can use it. And it's my gift to, to the world. And then there's probably a whole bunch of other things that I've, I've been working on, but most of them uh, are directed at live performance and performing. So keep an eye out for me because I'm going to be performing more often and performing with my drawing or my music or live streaming. And that's something I'm really excited about at the moment. That sounds fantastic. And I will uh, give a shout out to everything where people can find you um, in the episode. Uh, I, I just want to, last thing I want to say is I'm just uh, really grateful to get to talk to you because I think, I feel like art is supposed to be about getting in touch with who you really are and trying to get rid of the mask and show up in that authentic way. And yet I feel like a lot of the art world, the design world, the illustration world, a lot of that art gets used as a mask, as to appear something different or, you know, posture yourself or whatever. And your spirit that comes through just talking to you and your work and everything that you do is just everything that I want in the creative world. So thank you so much for all the work that you do and for taking time for the show. And thank you for the work that you do. I'm excited to listen to some of your other shows and and um, at some point, describe all the cool things that are going on behind you because I've enjoyed seeing your background okay. as well. Okay. So thank you. <laughs> yeah, I will. Thanks, Chantel. All right. Cheers. All right. Thank you, Chantel, for being on the show. Chantel is just such a whole person. And I appreciate that in the art world. And I love how much she's able to put herself into a line and, and everywhere, everything she touches just emanates her spirit and her soul. And I think that's what we're after as creators. Go check out Chantel Martin on Instagram. And uh, her website is incredible, chantelmartin.art. And she's just I, I really uh, aspire. I think that's one of my main aspirations is just to get how the how I feel on the inside out on the outside, on my website, on my canvas, out into the world. I want them to be synonymous. And there's so much stuff I think we can learn about that from Chantel. A couple takeaways from this interview. The first one is the the bug. Treat yourself. Number one, treat yourself like something to study, like 
Chantel did in college. Treat yourself like the ultimate research project. I don't think you can be sure that you know yourself until you've done that or you continue to do that. Use your art to observe who am I. Uh, number two is the synesthetic link, the synesthesia. I love this idea of like, uh, I'm obsessed with that thing of how vinyl's made. Like vinyl is the product of realizing that you could literally draw a three-dimensional line onto a piece of plastic like vinyl that is the song. And I think this, there's this idea in my head that everything is one and we're all fractured into this multitude. And you could use that as a creative prompt of like, what would this drawing look like if uh, it was a song and vice versa? I love number three is the drawing without a pen. I thought, man, go draw something and then just draw it without the utensil and just feel how your body moves. It can, I I think that for me, when I'm like really in the pocket of drawing, my hand and my body and my posture, everything has a particular way of being. What is that? And really focus on that just before you're drawing or after you're drawing to get a sense of it. I thought that was super cool. Number four, get out of your head. I love the idea of like just making with no time to think. That's what Chantel got from doing live drawing. Like you just have to keep moving so that stuff was happening on the projection. And what it caused her to do is to not get the ego in the way of how she should be perceived and just put herself into the work. I did the same thing in my everyday daily drawing project when I was doing a character every day. Like I was making just so much stuff. I didn't have, eventually you break through a wall of like, all right, I can't, posture. I just have to make something, anything. And you do that long enough and weird things happen. Yourself happens when you're not stuck in your head. And the last one is five, this determinism versus AI. Like what if we believe in determinism, this idea that you don't have a choice, how your life turns out, how fate turns out for you, because the statistics say that 98% of people are a product of their environment and of their DNA. Like, what if we don't believe in free will and art and creativity and that humans could do things that AI never will because most don't. And we've chalked that last 2% of people that defy the odds and defy the, the nature as an outlier instead of seeing like, no, that outlier's actually exerting their will. And I just think it's really, whether that's true or not, it's fascinating and it's inspiring to me to be like, uh, nobody can copy what I'm going to do next. I don't even know what that thing is because how I work is I actually just start making lines. I just start making moves and I'm not even thinking about it. And it's taking me wherever it wants to go. I just found that super inspiring. Found the whole thing inspiring. Thank you, Chantel, for taking the time. thanks to our patreon backers you make making this podcast so easy take care of so much of the cost and we couldn't do it without you we love you we so appreciate you if you're not in a place where you can support the show financially don't we don't want your money i don't want your last buck to support the show we make this show to help you to, to support you, to, to encourage you, to be your cheerleader. And uh, if you still want to help out, one thing you could do, it doesn't cost you any money, cost you a couple minutes, 
You can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. That super helps. We appreciate everybody who does that and everybody who shares the show. So thank you. We see you. We appreciate you. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Connor Jones of Pending Beautiful for editing the show. Massive thanks to the rest of the creative pep talk team, Ryan Appleton, Sophie Miller, Katie Chandler. Thank you for all the content and, and administrative and sponsorship assistance. And thanks to everybody for listening. Until we speak again, stay pepped up. Stay pepped up.